this is the combination, Ryan, that we have to have to be successful in the postmodern world. We have yeah. to have the humility of the work where we can sit with people like Joe's friends for the first seven days. But then yeah. when we open our mouth, we can't be as the scribes and Pharisees. We've got to speak with Jesus. We've got to speak with authority. So speaking with authority is the, is the word of reconciliation. Sitting with humility is the work of reconciliation. Welcome to the Christian Leader Made Simple podcast. I really hope this episode helps you learn and master the skills you need to grow your leadership effectiveness and enjoyment. Be sure to hit the subscribe button to get notified as soon as I post a new session so you don't miss a single episode. I'd also greatly appreciate any reviews, likes, and shares that you can give me. It just helps me extend my reach to more people. So leaders, I know just how frustrating it can feel when you're in the weeds of work or ministry and life is chaotic, you're struggling to feel effective, and you're just not enjoying leadership as much as you could be. And so to help you, after many years of leadership and executive coaching, I've developed a framework called the Christian Leader Blueprint that'll guide you to find clarity in your life and leadership. It'll help you gain a better rhythm of life. It'll help you see yourself more clearly to leverage your strengths and you'll produce more productive relationships. It's a step-by-step -step guide to leadership transformation. And I have that in two formats now. I have a free short guide that you can find on ryanfranklin.org and I have a book, The Christian Leader Blueprint. And you can find that in any format, including an audiobook wherever you buy your books. I have a few more things on my website that you may be interested in, so just head on over to ryanfranklin.org and check it all out. And now, let's get to our session. I'm excited today to have on the podcast a friend of mine, Dr. Clay Jackson. And I want to start by telling you a little bit about Dr. Jackson. He is a clinical assistant professor of family medicine and psychiatry at the University of Tennessee College of Medicine in Memphis, Tennessee, where he maintains a private practice in family medicine. He also has a ton of other degrees and certification. This man wears a ton of hats in the medical world. But in addition to his practice in medicine, he has done missions work in Great Britain um, and a variety of roles in ministry. But currently, he and his wife, Jana, are are planning a church in Arlington, Tennessee. And Dr. Jackson, I'm, I'm not sure how in the world you have time to do all the things that you do, but you seem to do them with excellence and with health. And I'm so glad that you've taken the time to be on the Christian Leader Made Simple podcast today. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Ryan. Uh, the key is not to do any of it well and to make sure that uh, if you do anything well, that it's the team around you that's doing it. So uh, I have had, uh, uh, I think, Hall of Fame friends in my life uh, and Hall of Fame colleagues. And so uh, I'm just glad I get to wear the uniform with the teams that I'm on. And uh, they do a great job of uh, honestly for, for making up for my idiosyncrasies. I'm I'm always interested in new things and uh, always interested in, in startups. Uh, it's just kind of been my the way that my brain's been wired from since I was a child. So um, yeah. now it's just made for an exciting journey of ministry and career opportunities just to to be in the healthcare space as well as the spiritual ministry space, um, trying to trying to help folks. Um, I do want to you, you mentioned to our listeners today the the uh, Christian leader blueprint book. And I would say, you know, if, if, if it's the last leadership book you buy, make it the last leadership book you buy. I know many of us have uh, enough HBR titles on our shelf probably to, uh, to, to drown a, a large size battleship. But, uh, um, I didn't want to read another leadership book, but I picked up yours because of your background and our connection. And I have to yeah. say, uh, I, I profited from it. It was, it was edifying. Um, it was encouraging. It was strengthening. It was challenging. And so, uh, with unsolicited recommendation from Ryan, <laughs> Thank you so I, I much. do, do want to, to stamp that book as being something that was helpful for me. So, um, if you're listening out there and holidays are coming up and, uh, you're thinking about purchases, uh, get one for you and get one for a friend. It will, it will, it will bless somebody. Well, thank you so much for, for saying that. And I'll, I'll send the check in the mail when we're done. Yeah. Uh, just to kick us off, um, and I know you gave a little bit there, but I, 
first of all, did I get did I get everything in your bio right? I know I didn't say everything, uh, but is there if there is there anything you need to clean up? And can you tell us a little bit about your background and your experience as both a physician and a pastor? Sure. Um, I don't think you told any stories. Um, I've, I've I've actually had people introduce me and tell some things that were incorrect. That's a little awkward because you don't know uh, you don't want to be ungracious. But uh, um, it, yeah. it, there there is a myth. Uh, I, I did spend some time in England studying it. I've been introduced before as a Rhodes Scholar, and that's actually not true. You got to be pretty intelligent to be a Rhodes Scholar. I uh, I received a Rotary Fellowship, which is quite a different thing. <laughs> Our local Rotary Club gave me a check. I I can't believe this. It was 1993. I was a young 21 year old person uh, with uh, uh, a wide open opportunity and not a lot of wisdom. But they handed me a check for thirteen thousand dollars and said, "Come back in a year and tell us what you've done." It was personally addressed to me. No accountability whatsoever. I can't wow. believe it. this would never happen today. Uh, but that that was my that was my fellowship. It was not a road scholarship. <laughs> so God bless yeah. the the good uh, businessmen of Jackson, Tennessee. So. Um, Let's see, background, I, I was raised in West Tennessee, um, still live there. Uh, I've lived in Memphis for the Memphis metro area for the last 30 years. Um, I uh, have difficult to remember a time when I did not love the Lord um, and began attempting to serve his church at an early age, probably too early. Uh, uh, we were a small church, and I was willing to volunteer, so... God knows what they were thinking, but they needed all hands on deck. And so I just kind of tried to help out where I could. Um, yeah. In college, I was a youth minister, um, very gracious pastor, allowed me to, to learn a lot, make a lot of mistakes as a, as a youth minister. Um, then went on to, to study theology at a graduate level uh, overseas, uh, did an AIM appointment there, um, mm-hmm. and then came back to the States for medical school. Um, and then uh, continue to to uh, attempt to serve the church as speaking, teaching, uh, preaching, that sort of thing, um, and uh, as a bivocational um, disciple, and um, developed a private uh, university for three years, developed a private medical practice, and then um, about 15 years ago gave some serious attention to end-of-life care uh, in the United States. Um and uh, was a hospice medical director for 13 years. And uh, mm-hmm. we started a fellowship here in palliative medicine, which has been folded into the University of Tennessee uh, Health Science Center. And um, we've trained probably 50, 75 physicians in palliative care uh, as part of that process. It's a thriving entity wow. now. Um, and uh, so, uh, again, through through the years, kind of our professional uh, uh, bent has been toward uh, getting something from ground zero, probably up to the functional range or 80% range, if you can think about it that way. I'm not a good yeah. iterative quality manager. I'm not great at taking things from 80 to, to 98% efficiency. And I'm certainly lost when it comes to that 98 to 99.9. You know, I'd make a terrible airline CEO because planes would be falling out of the sky from time to time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, if you, if you found me in the motorcycle shop with or the bicycle shop of the Wright brothers, that, that's kind of what I like. I, I enjoy thinking about what what's possible, and um, you know, br- brief flights of fancy more more my speed. So, um, and then um, Jan and I um, were married uh, about six years ago, and we I, I wanted to plant a church in a town uh, where I lived, and um, then when we became a couple, that dream. Uh, became a reality. We had an opportunity to do that, to plant a church. And so now um, we just celebrated our fourth uh, fourth anniversary of a church plant here in Arlington, Tennessee. And um, that honestly has been the most uh, fulfilling role outside the home that, that I've had and yeah. never felt more connected to a community and to a group of people. And um, it's, it's just a really wonderful experience. And uh, I hope that I've learned for the mentors through the years uh, enough. I, I look back 10 years or so ago and think, Oh, wow, there's a lot I didn't know. And maybe I'll do that in 10 years, but I just, I feel like I want to thank all the people that sort of uh, helped to polish off some of the rough edges that I had, because uh, certainly now in for frontline, sure. frontline pastoring and church planning, um, 
you know, no, nobody cares. Nobody cares uh, what your CV yeah. is. They just, they just want to know if you'll be there when their mom is sick or uh, if you'll be there when, uh, you know, they, they're having challenges at work or, uh, or, you know, right. when they're trying to learn the gospel. So it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. Right. I'm so grateful for it. Well, tremendous. Well, we are, I asked you to come on today cause I want to talk about mental health challenges. And um, so to start us off, just to kind of jump into the conversation, what is mental health and what are some common mental health challenges that leaders, especially pastors, and I, and I really would like for us to kind of key in to pastors today because I think we have a unique opportunity with you being a physician and a pastor. You understand, you have empathy, you, you work a secular job, but you also uh, can have empathy for the pastor out there as well. So you, you've got, we've got a unique opportunity here, but what's some challenges that you see pastors facing today as they're struggling to juggle ministry, work and family, and just sort of define mental health for us, if you don't mind. I want to split the question if I can, Ryan. So first of all, let's yeah. just, let's knock off the adjective and let's just focus on health as a noun. So okay. health, health is not just the absence of, of illness. It is the presence of wellness. Mm-hmm. as well. And those are two separate things that seem to be inversely proportional, but they're not always that way. So they're, they're, you know, if you draw that, Great if you draw point. that sort yeah. of Punnett square, there are two quadrants that are intuitive. If you don't have any illness, you should have a lot of wellness. And if you do have illness, you wouldn't expect to have a lot of wellness. Well, that's true for many people, but there are two counterintuitive quadrants that you find in leaders. There are people who um are just, languishers uh they don't mm-hmm. they neither have a lot of wellness or illness there's not a lot wrong with them but they're fairly dissatisfied dyspeptic people um and and those are not is is we have to have grace uh and you have to have um a christ-like character to be empathetic and sympathetic with those people sometimes because they're not um those are not people who write books about we're not we, we don't we don't necessarily admire those people but they're creating yeah. the image of god and there may be reasons for that then there are the people that we all love and to be around and they're the resilient people. They have a lot of wellness and they have a lot mm-hmm. of illness. I have stage four cancer patients that are cooking for their family. They're taking care of their kids. They're, you know, they're just, they're working. You know, I have people, I don't yeah. want to take too much pain medicine because I got to work today. What do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant with a fortune 500 company. It's just crazy things. And they're in the middle of chemo, yeah. you know, staggering their chemo schedule around their work schedule is resilient people who, sort of weeble wobble. You're probably too young to remember those toys. You knock it down, it bounces back up. Um, Actually, I do remember those toys. <laughs> resilient people tend to be like that. And, and um, just a, just an aside, I think as pastors or Christian leaders of any type, we can really overestimate our resiliency yeah. because we are hopefully in tune with the, with, with the Holy Spirit, which is inexhaustible in its resources, in his resources. We, however, are human, and no matter how spiritual we are, we 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 inhabit a, a fleshly body, and so we do not have inexhaustible resources. I think that confusion is the root cause of most uh, burnout challenges in pastoral ministry and in, in Christian leadership. That confusion between what is our role and what is the divine role, what what are yeah. our resources, what are the divine resources. What our relationship does versus what the divine relationship does. I think um, representing God is one thing, but substituting for God is quite a different thing. And yeah. honestly, as pastors, we're very prone to try to substitute God for God rather than representing God. And so it's a, it's a fine line, and we really have to be spiritual to do that. We, most of us in Christian leadership don't have to be spiritual to love people. We don't mm-hmm. have to be spiritual for most people. We don't have to be spiritual to uh, seek affirmation from them. We don't have to be spiritual to have empathy for them or love for them because we're kind of wired that way. We've got, you know, affirmation, acceptance junkies, and we kind of we you know, want to be around people most of the time. But uh, but we do need to be spiritual to know that line between what's our role and what's theirs. So let's back up a minute and, 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 and address the second part of your question. What's mental health? If mental yeah. health is not only the absence of mental illness but the presence of mental wellness, Let's explode the Cartesian myth of mind-body duality with due respect to Rene Descartes and his, you know, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, uh, the body separate from the mind. It's sort of a, uh, 
an enlightenment type, renaissance type dusting off the Gnostic, the Gnostic uh, division, the Greek division between mind and body. It's given us 500 years of tremendous technological abilities. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we have these uh, podcasts now because of Rene Descartes and the renaissance. Hallelujah. Great science. Not yeah. really great philosophy when it comes to what we, what really constitutes a human being. The Greek conception of separation of mind and, and, and body is not the Hebrew conception. The Hebrews recognize sort of this eight inch thing called the neck that connects the head to the body. And mental health is a part of physical health. Physical health is part of the mental health. There are strong studies that show that there's a dose response relationship between physical exercise and mental health. That physical exercise itself is as good as a standard randomized control trial proved, proven antidepressant, uh, such as specific studies, sertraline, an FTA-approved product for, for depression. So, so just um, for clarification here, you're saying that you that, that essentially you can't separate mental and physical health. It's all in it, it, it's all in one pile, basically. You can, but it leads to errors. Now we yeah. can, you know, so uh, a rudder has a different role than a hull, has a different role than a deck, has a different role sure. than a boiler but room. It makes the boat. But if you try to separate those on the ship, you know, they're, they're all part of the ship. And so, yeah. yes, yes, our thoughts are separate from our movements. Our movements are can separate I, from, from our in, souls. Can I dig in just a little bit there? Uh, yeah. Because I hear, uh, just for the sake of our audience, um, you hear things about mental health and you hear things about emotional health. Is there a difference? Sure. Our, our emotions. Are, so if you think about mental health, you, you're thinking about cognition, which is thought, behavior, yeah. which is action, and affect, which is feeling. So I think, I feel, I act. Mm -hmm. And those mm -hmm. are all part of mental health. Let's just imagine schizophrenia. In schizophrenia, uh, literally divided brain, my, my thoughts are disorganized, and they are out of touch with the reality that most of us recognize. My behaviors may be odd. I may pace. I may have specific movements that I do, and then I may feel agitated. And those are all part of of schizophrenia, but you know, my emotional health really looks at my feelings, but there's behavior and cognition is part of that as well. So easy way to remember that's ABC, affect, behavior, cognition. Those are the three cornerstones of what we think about of mental health when we're describing mm -hmm. a, a specific diagnosis or recovery therefrom. Makes sense. Makes sense. So with, with all of that said, when, uh, and, and let's just, again, consider the pastor, you know, that, that probably is a little bit too thinks he's too resilient or he's very resilient or, or you know, his, his mental concept of that is, is uh, much greater than it should be uh, who puts a lot of things on himself, uh, wears a lot of hats, doesn't um, take care of himself the way that he or she would need to. What are some early symptoms of a person that may be struggling with mental health issues? Well, I, you know, I was challenged by a question in your book. You said, go around to your team and say, um, what negative characteristics do I, and I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not phrasing as well as you did, but go around to your team and your family and say, Hey, what does it look like when I'm hungry or I'm tired or I'm, uh, yeah. you know, uh, not at my best, you know, that's an easy way to ask about negative traits. Cause you don't want to just walk up somebody and say, What's bad about me? That sounds awful. But, you know, let's, let's call it hanger or, or hangry. And, and that kind of excuses a behavior. What do I look like then? Yeah. I had to answer that question honestly for myself. And so I found that, you know, in, in working that as a mental exercise for me is sort of, um, irritability and being short with people and not, not really listening, yeah. but kind of being snappy. And, and I have a tendency to do that when I'm not at my best or if I'm hurried or if I'm, trying to get to an appointment or if I'm stressed out. Well, you know, that's on a continuum with burnout that says I'm done. Um, yeah. And the, the which, extreme, which extreme example. That, can I just butt in there just a little bit? Some of that could be just your hardwire as, you know, the, the way that you've been raised to uh, react to when you're tired and stressed, you get moody. When you're tired and stressed, you get a little more passive aggressive because maybe your mother or your father did it that way. So um, I think when we when we see those behaviors begin to 
those, those thoughts, feelings, behaviors begin to rise to the top. That's an early indication that we're not at our best. So sort of our hardwire comes to the surface a little bit more prominent and those negative hardwires. Absolutely. I I think that's a, you know, if we're talking about a continuum here between, uh, uh, high performance in every level, but then there's sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, engine light comes on, you know, or, 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 uh, you hear something funny in the tires. If I could use that, that, uh, motoring analogy, uh, high performance, but, but there's some warning signals all the way to burnout, which is, you know, you're on the side of the road and the engine is smoking and you're not sure what happened. Uh, versus, you know, the, the extreme of burnout it, it c- can be suicide, which is I'm done with life. Uh, I'm done with existence mm-hmm. and, uh, or, or at least in this realm. And so, um, I think that's, it's important. Now I do want to separate because we're, we're using some terms, lay terms here a, a little loosely. Burnout, uh, which, you know, we're talking about mental health, mental wellness. Wellness yeah. is, is an opposite of burnout. Wellness is an opposite of mental illness. They're not the same thing. Uh, depression and burnout, they're different things. And the key distinction is with burnout, it's localized to work. And, and that can be calling. Mm-hmm. Now, with pastors, that can get a little tricky because, you know, your life seems to be the ministry, you know, because it's part of discipleship. Right. But it, disciple right. making is part of discipleship. But with burnout, it is, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not global. I can have joy in other areas. I can, I can enjoy other things. I can enjoy the kids, grandkids, a good meal. Um, I can enjoy uh, sexual relationship. I can enjoy, uh, social relationships, but I, my work, my work relationships are skewed because it's, it's localized to work. So the three core components of burnout would be, um, uh, sort of depersonalization. So you're checking out. You're not really you at work. Um, a lack of emotional fulfillment at work, and then a sense of detachment. So those are three things that are associated with burnout. Depression, anxiety, PTSD, those are things much more global, and they tend to bleed out into the other areas of life. So they're they're pervasive in their effect, whereas burnout is really confined to work. I love the way that you brought that out uh, because many times the the resilient pastor – is is in a phase of burnout you know they're not a lot of times they're not facing clinical depression or or but sometimes it could ooze into that and so knowing the the signs and 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 i think you you hit the nail on the head uh with burnout it's it's going to be isolated a lot of times to the work environment and for um and for a pastor it would be you know at the church but for uh go ahead you know i i think having Standardized signals in our life, uh, you, you, you gotta put the canaries in the coal mine and, and you gotta make sure the canaries are there. And so for me, I, I have, I have three, uh, primarily, um, besides the urging and prompting of the Holy Spirit. But I gotta be honest with you. If I'm not at my best and if I'm not spiritually right, sometimes yeah. I don't listen to the Spirit. And sometimes, you know, I want to listen to the spirit, but I got a deadline mm-hmm. and I'm not smart enough to sometimes to set aside the deadline to listen to the Holy Spirit saying you need Sabbath and you're disobeying one of the top 10. So I don't care how many podcasts you get done. I don't care how many papers you publish. I don't care how many patients you see. I don't care how many, you know, how well crafted your sermon is. You're, you're, you're disobeying Sabbath. So yeah, sometimes I'm not smart enough to listen to that. So if I always listen to that, I wouldn't need this other stuff. But here, here are my canaries that I, that, that I've put in my coal mine. The early signals that I'm having problems. Um, mutual submission with my wife. Um, I'm a firm believer that mutual submission unlocks the grace of life that, uh, is mentioned in the New Testament, that we are heirs together, the grace of life. So mm-hmm. if, uh, if my wife raises an eyebrow, I have to pay attention. That's very uh, good, and sh- and she's likely to to pick up on the the issue quicker than anyone else would. Should be if we have a right relationship, right? I mean, if we're one flesh, yeah. she should be able to see that. So I have to respect yeah. that, not see her as an obstacle to productivity. I need to see her as an ally of long term health and productivity. And I'll be honest with you, there that sometimes I have to be right in the head and right in the spirit to see it that way. 
Because sometimes yeah. there's an opportunity that comes up or there's a need that comes up and, you know, I want to dive in uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm set to green. I'm not set to red in my life. And I, I have to be careful yeah. about that because most people in the ministry profession calling are, uh, they get a lot of charge out of horizontal affirmation, out of, out of people, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and being needed, you know, that, that kind of thing. So be right. careful about all that stuff. And that can, that can take a lot of different ways. You know, I, I need to get this degree. I need to, the church has, needs to be this size. Uh, I need this person to, to know that I was there for them. And so, so, you know, I, I, uh, safeguard number one, uh, good open relationship with, with spouse. And some ministers have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some ministers are single, don't have that. Uh, some ministers, you know, wall off those type of things and, and, uh, don't, it's not vulnerable in that way. I think for me, that's been very helpful, uh, because I, I always know that my wife is for me. This is a huge, huge thing. So if she yeah. says something, even if it irritates me, she's, she's right. You know, uh, yeah. a lot of the time about this, this particular issue that you really have to pay attention to. So secondly, um, and as Jesus said, liken to the first, uh, is, is, uh, having a, a group of friends that are their true friends. So, uh, there's a yeah. gen- gentleman in our church who's a, you know, right hand, solid kind of guy who, who's really there. Um, and so we talk weekly about how mm-hmm. things are going. You know, we, we, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, how the kids doing. And, and, and then we talk about the state of the church and what needs to be done that week and different things. So, uh, my wife is there. And then, uh, outside the church, we, we have a, because we're a church plant right now, we have an external board. And so, um, uh, brother Tom Trimble, brother Glenn Thompson, uh, brother Jonathan Ellingsworth. Those are our three board members. And so mm-hmm. I try to talk with those guys once a week and we talk granular about how things are going. And so sort um, of become a, a life team to you. Yeah, that's what I, and you, you, you mentioned, you, you mentioned yeah. this, you, you need people that can, and you need to be around them enough analog or digital space. Obviously it needs to be a, a hybrid, but you, you definitely need some analog. So you need to eat together. Because yeah. it's, it's the subtle things that you pick up on. Um, and, and I think discernment works so and much th- better in person than, than digitally that, that yeah. when you're not right, they can tell and, and they can challenge you and, and say, Hey, are you okay? Are you, you know, get enough rest? You do that, that sort of thing. And so having, having those, uh, two areas is good. Then I've got a third, but you got, you got a question. Well, I was just going to, going to say, uh, you know, even a zoom call is, uh, is 10 times better than a phone call. So uh, a lot of my life team members are around the country in different areas. So I can, if we jump on a zoom call, I can see their facial expressions. I can, I can, uh, I can read their body language. There's a, there's a difference now in person is uh, I would say is like eating a steak and a zoom call is like eating eating a hamburger. They're both nourishing. They're they're, they're good. good. Yeah. They're, they're good. I, I, I think the, the zoom or, or teams for the Microsoft junkies out there. Um, I, <laughs> it gives us a nonverbal, you know, that, that, that opens up about, you know, nine times the communicative capacity. Yeah. But, um, I do, like, I don't want to be guilty here of limiting the power of the Holy spirit, but it, as it moves through us, I find that discernment specifically discernment specifically, um, is much easier in analog space that there's yeah. something about us as humans that being in the atmosphere and just kind of feeling the room, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little different 20 years would, ago when all the, I would wholeheartedly agree with that, uh, yeah. by the way, however, you know, there are some, you know, Royal pastors or people that, that, uh, you know, doesn't feel comfortable being vulnerable with, with someone in their church or, yeah. or something of that nature. And and so a good second would be a virtual means, but I, but I think face to face is very important. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why televangelists are so successful. Um, yeah. I don't at, at, and sometimes their life and their public persona is so separated because I think that first of all, you may be dealing with a certain global subset of people who, who turn to television for their, for their guidance. But, you know, it's, Analog space, I think, is 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 much better to to try Absolutely. to to make sure it's part of the part of the recipe. 
thirdly, um, so those are, those are both people oriented, relationally oriented, take a lot of time, mm-hmm. a lot, lot of time to develop that vulnerability and trust. But it's, but it's in critical the, to mental health. In, in the home and outside the home. Yes. Yeah. Place marker at that. We'll get to it in just a moment. I yeah. also use it. I also use a tool which you can use today and you don't need a best friend for this. So it's called a who five W H O five. So W H O dash five, uh, wellness scale. It was developed, um, by, um, psychiatry department and it's a 25 point scale for resiliency. And I take the who five about every six weeks. And wow. if my score, if my score is below 20, I don't take on any new projects. Is there a particular website you take that on? Yeah. Google. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just Google. Google. It's, just Google. It's in a, it's in a public domain. You can get a PDF in, okay. in two seconds. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I make my fellows take that. Um, ministry team colleagues take that. Um, I take it and see. My challenge is I always want to do new things. I always want to say yes. I, I don't like to disappoint people. I don't like to say no. I'm a conflict avoider, 30 year recovering conflict avoidance person. So I, I need the who five to tell me when I'm doing too much. And that's kind of my internal odometer. And my red yeah. zone is when I get below 20. And so, you know, if you called and said POA is doing a leadership thing on mental health and we want you to do a six week series and, you know, we really want you to do that, which, you know, whatever it, that would be, it's a wonderful opportunity. But if my score is yeah. 18, I'm telling you no, uh, or I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hitting pause and saying maybe later because I've learned that below that number, I start to miss deadlines. I start to not keep commitments. Um, I start to be short with people that, that matter to me. And mm-hmm. so for me, and that number 20 is not magic. I made it up for, for me, but yeah. it's just based on my historical average. I, I'll typically run a 21 to 24 on that scale because I'm, I'm typically, uh, at least by that scale, pretty resilient. But if I start running low, then I, uh, I, I, I just change things up and, and I hit pause on everything and I, I yeah. righty tidy on the intake valve because, um, because I'm getting in dangerous territory for me. I think it's, I think it's very important that you have something to kind of judge yourself on. Um, and I, and I love the, the, the three components there, the combination of the three components, your, your spouse, your, um, life team, so to speak, and then an actual assessment that would be, uh, very helpful to, to kind of evaluate. And, and I think, you know, um, it's, you know, especially for people like me, for instance, that loves assessments. I, I love assessments. I even have one free on my website, by the way, uh, a free Christian leader self-assessment. Uh, but, you know, there's there's something about that that will just kind of put a mirror in your face and tell you, hey, you, you need to perk up and pay attention to this particular thing. So that's the resiliency side. That's the wellness side. Let's talk about the illness side. And there's an assessment there as well. So when yeah. we're talking about anxiety, there's an assessment called GAD-7, G-A-D-7. And if we're talking about depression, there's an assessment called PHQ-9, PHQ-9. These are in the public domain. They're totally available. PHQ-9 okay. and GAD-7 were developed by Kurt Cronkey, a colleague out of Indiana, primary care. These are incredible tools for showing you. They're both two-week look-backs. Uh, the the WHO-5 is a two-week look-back. So, you know, if you had a bad day and spilled bagel sauce on your pants or your skirt, you know, it doesn't it, – it it's a two-week look-back. So you get, a, you get an average. And uh, these are really great tools for helping you um, to, to say, hey, maybe I do need some help or maybe I need to talk to somebody, uh, be that the primary care physician or uh, a counselor or, or somebody about, hey, I'm, I'm not doing very well here. I, I, need to, I need to think about these things. So before we continue on with the podcast, this episode is brought to you by Christian Leader Community Coaching. Are you a Christian leader experiencing low productivity or chaotic lifestyle? And maybe you're overwhelmed and just unsure of what it's going to take to create growth in your life. And so I want to introduce to you our Christian Leader Community Coaching Program. Through our step-by-step framework, you're going to discover a better rhythm of life. You'll see yourself more clearly leverage your strengths, and build more productive relationships. With our full archive of courses, our supportive community of peers, 
a powerful leadership assessment to get you quickly focused. We also have live community coaching and so much more. And I've personally seen its huge impact with leaders from all over the world experiencing laser-focused growth in their lives. And now, through this community, this experience is open to you. And we wanna help you implement these simple frameworks and then celebrate with you as you experience significant results in your life. Don't wait any longer. Go to ryanfranklin.org and join the Christian Leader Community Coaching today. And I look forward to seeing you inside the community. Now back to our podcast. So let's go there. You're many times there's there's a stigma associated with mental health and and I think uh even society as a whole has sort of come a long ways on the acceptance of this. Even the church has come a long ways on the acceptance of this in the last number of years. But why do you why do you think there's a stigma, especially within faith communities, church communities? Well, um so again, I want to unpack that with the mental and the physical. So, you know, you're you're probably old enough to remember a time when uh, preachers would need to make comments in the front of the pulpit, like "I don't have anything against doctors," because in the oneness apostolic community yeah. and within uh, other uh, uh, allied people of professing Christianity, such as the evangelical mm-hmm. community, the uh, fundamentalist community, the holiness community, some of these that are um, cousins, if not brothers, in terms of our sort of thinking and background. Um, the huge emphasis on faith healing of the supernatural. Um, I still pray for supernatural healing every Sunday. Uh, there's yeah. a bottle of oil beside our beside our pulpit, uh, yeah. and we will, you know, we we have prayer every Sunday for the sick, and we pray through the through the week for the sick. I don't see those as being competing. For me, mm-hmm. those are complementary approaches to how God heals. And so uh, there's healing that's understood and instantaneous. We call that surgery. There's yeah. healing that is not understood and instantaneous. We call that a miracle. There's healing that is understood and gradual. We call that medicine uh, mm-hmm. or a cut on my finger that doesn't cause gangrene and cause me to lose my finger. Well, that, that's an illustration of the glory and grace of God um, versus, you know, Neosporin which is an illustration of the ingenuity of man uh, as, as an expression of the glory and grace of God. So James one seventeen makes this very plain for me. And this is a, you know, people talk about life text or whatever. This is a revelatory text for me that really informs all of my work in this area uh, and discipleship in this area. That is every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights is whom there's no very most of shadow of being or shadow of turning. So if there's a, yeah. um, you know, if chemotherapy heals cancer, that comes from God, period. It may move through a doctor, a nurse, or an IV tubing, but healing comes from God, period, end of story, full stop. Yeah. If it comes through walking down to the church and someone laying hands and and uh, the doctor says, we don't understand, here's the report now, here's the report before, and I've seen both of those. We have uh, two humans right now in our church uh, two people that came out of my oncology practice, out of the palliative care practice, that had advanced cancer who are now cancer-free. And um, my mother uh, had stage four cancer, and it completely cleared. Um, now there was prayer involved, and there was chemotherapy involved. So which worked? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I would choose to tell you that God worked. So in the physical arena, there's been a stigma toward illness. I think that sort of faded away around the 1960s, 1970s. Um, typically when semi-closed communities that come from conservative Christian backgrounds have an opportunity to access health care through finance and social integration, they're yeah. uh, predisposition to avoid mainline or allopathic sources of healing goes away or it fades. They may maintain the belief in supernatural healing, which we have as one as people. But mm-hmm. you don't have a whole lot of people bashing people for taking an aspirin now um, yeah. versus, you know, 1930, 1940s issue. Yeah. Mental health is just an extension of that argument because if it's my feelings, of course, the spirit should lift that. Then we have scriptures such as, you know, we've not been given a spirit of fear. So if you have anxiety, do you have a spirit of fear? So to sort that out. 
Uh, it's not that different yeah. from a kid who had epilepsy. And Jesus said, you've got a spirit. Um, you know, you take that kid, Mark 9, to my clinic. He's going to get diagnosed with epilepsy. I'm going to put him on Keppra. Um, disciples took him to Jesus. He said, he's got a spirit. Both things can be true. Look at the, look at the text carefully. I think it's Luke who says that Jesus cast out the spirit and healed the boy. There was mm -hmm. a spiritual issue that was taking advantage of a physical diathesis, a physical weakness. And this is what Satan does yeah. all the time. He's a predator. He takes advantage of weakness. Predators don't yeah, attack absolutely. strength. They, they attack weakness. So this is true in the physical. It's true in the mental. We may have diabetes and have high and low blood sugar, and then our moods begin to track this, and our we think, well, I, I'm a failure because I haven't exercised enough or I have bad genes. I didn't choose yeah. my parents right. Satan loves to 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 attack us through um, uh, weaknesses that we have, whether they're genetic, whether they're social, whether they're personality. The same That's in mental good. health, same in mental health. And um, I think the church is doing better. When I survey Christian leaders, what I find within the apostolic community, what I find is people say on this on this continuum of stigma versus privilege. See, in a postmodern yeah. world now, we've got we've got theologians such as uh, Jessica uh, Koblanz, and I, I love Jessica. Uh, she's she's writing from a Catholic background. Uh, we've interacted. I have no no stones to throw at her, but I, I strongly disagree with her stance, which is we can't we can't say anything of meaning to the person who's suffering. We have to privilege their voice, and we listen to them. They don't we don't have anything to offer them. We, we may construct theology that they can choose from, but we can't give them any guidance as to anything regarding meeting and their experience because we're not experiencing suffering as they are. Yeah. I think that's taking it too far. So stigma versus privilege. Every time I survey oneness leaders, they say we're moving away from stigma toward privilege. But I say we can only move too far because you, Jessica, in her book, Dust in the Blood, pretty much argues that, um, pretty much argues that we need to, to privilege the voices of suffering over the voice of the gospel. And it's my phrase, not hers. I can't go there. The text is the text. Hope is mm -hmm. hope. It needs to be applied skillfully. You know, the word is a scalpel and a fool with a scalpel would cause you to bleed to death. So just because you're performing yeah. surgery doesn't mean you're authorized or skillful. You know, you can be a butcher and a hack and call yourself a minister. Um, Job's right. friends prove that they have bad theology. Their problem wasn't they talked. The problem was what they said when they talked. Uh, God didn't criticize them for speaking to Job. He criticized them for what they said. So yeah. I think I think we're moving away from stigma, but I think we need to we don't need to take it all the way to privilege. Where okay, you've suffered something, therefore you tell us what to do. I think it needs to be. Um, I, I like to think about the road of reconciliation, uh, the mm -hmm. road of restoration, the road of healing, and to me that road has two lanes. And there's a, there's a there's Paul in Second Corinthians five, which you know I think is the hinge of the New Testament, uh, five seventeen through twenty one. We've been changed, so now we get to see others changed through our work. Yeah. And uh, Paul says we have the word of reconciliation, and we have um, the ministry of reconciliation. So I, I think there's the work of reconciliation or healing, and I think there's yeah. the word and. We love the word. We love to speak with authority. You're going to be healed. I speak against depression. I speak against anxiety. I take authority. Over. And so we speak with authority. So we're, we're not, we're not Jessica who's privileging the voice of the suffering. We're privileging their experience, but we're privileging the voice of the gospel. So we speak with authority. Hallelujah. But we have to work with humility. And that, this is the combination, Ryan, that we have to have to be successful in the postmodern world. We have to yeah. have the humility of the work where we can sit with people like Joe's friends for the first seven days. But then yeah. when we open our mouth, we can't be as the scribes and Pharisees. We've got to speak with Jesus. We've got to speak with authority. So speaking with authority is the, is the word of reconciliation. Sitting with humility is the work of reconciliation. And there are precious few people that are equipped to do both. If we can master that lesson from our teacher, we have a tremendous opportunity because it is a, I mean, this world has never been more broken. People have never had more fractured relationships. People, you know, we have 80 and 90% of our young generation are experiencing mental health challenges. Doesn't mean they all have a DSM-5 diagnosis or a psychiatric mm -hmm. diagnosis, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean many of them have challenges. We've got a tremendous opportunity to minister healing, but we but to speak with authority and we have to work with humility 
And we have yeah. to hold those two counterintuitive uh, methodologies or approaches in creative uh, tension so that, that love, Christ can uh, be glorified through us. Yeah, excuse me there. But I, I just to say I, I love the balanced approach there, and thank you for, for that thorough answer. Um, I've got a couple things, and I know we've, we've got to wrap up here in just a moment, but um, I've got a couple things of additional questions I want to dive into from a more practical standpoint. And I know you've kind of hit on this question a little bit, but Clay, the, the pastors like yourself, um, they often play multiple roles in their communities. Um, you know, if they're not bivocational, um, which you are, you're a physician, uh, but, uh, even if they're not bivocational, a lot of times they like, for instance, myself, I serve on a board in my city. Others may be a chaplain or, or manager of business or, or, you know, whatever. But all of this can become a lot to juggle. You know, you you're bivocational. You serve on several boards. I'm sure you have uh, you, you have various irons in the fire. You have your own podcast, which I want you to tell us about here in a little bit. But um, uh how can we as pastors maintain a consistent, healthy balance between our ministry, community involvement, personal life, self-care, all of that? Because uh, we don't we don't want to swing too far and uh, and not engage in the mission of Christ. But at the same time, we can't find ourselves in a bad place. So what does balance look like in that? And, and what would you recommend to pastors? I'm going to quote Aaron Soto on this one, and I'm paraphrasing. Aaron says that balance is elusive, but fairness is attainable. Hmm. So if I'm going to be, if I'm going to try to be balanced, I'm going to fail. Um, I took both my boys to school this morning, uh, and I'm doing this podcast this morning. So, you know, there's calls from work that are stacking up. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not balanced right now. Now I will be before the week is out or before the month is out. So yeah. over time, you can get balance, but it's elusive. And you'll and drive. That's a great seat. point because your your work is is always going to outbalance just about everything else in your life. That's that's yeah. just it's, it, 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 you're not going to find balance. Yeah, it's, it's, but, it's, but there's a rhythm in that as well. There's a rhythm, and you and Eugene Wilson do a good job of pointing us toward rhythm of life and and getting you know. Uh, I have times that I, that I devote to, you know, usually on this day, I'm going to be doing this thing. Usually on this day, I'll be doing this thing. So usually at this time, I'm going to have time to work. It is clear and everything. But usually at this time, you know, man, if you, from about 630 to 930, if it's a church need, it better be urgent, uh, yeah. on, on a usual weeknight because, you know, uh, my daughter goes to bed about 730. My kids go to bed about 830. And if I don't fall asleep, then my wife and I are going to start our conversations around nine or nine thirty. You know, we're going to we're going to have our time together. You know, so there's there's kind of a, we eat together as a family. Then one goes down, then two goes down, and then two stay up and talk. You know, so that, I don't interrupt that rhythm for much. Um, it, yeah. It's going to be pretty important. Now, there are times there was a there was a uh, there was a person uh, this week that had an episode and. A, and I said, I'm available tonight. And I didn't call home. I didn't text with my wife to ask her because the need was great enough that I knew that her response would be, you meet that need. It, it was, it was an urgent situation. Yeah. So there are exceptions, but, but you sort of, you, you've probably had conversations about that and sort of have some guidelines in your, in your, <laughs> within your marriage for that. So some of those conversations are retroactive, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, you learn sometimes when that thing on the road goes, brrr, <laughs> you, you move back towards center lane. So, <laughs> yeah, Sabbath. Okay. Yeah. We are not, we are not Jehovah Junior. Oswald Chambers, uh, my utmost for his highest, is one of the greatest Christian leadership books ever written. Uh, devotionals that people wrote down Say from Chambers. With- my, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, is okay. one of the, yes. one of the greatest yes. Christian leadership books ever written. And it's just devotions that, that his students wrote down. And he says in there, you can't get between people and God. You are not Jehovah Jireh. And so, again, we want to represent God, not substitute for him. And that is so tempting because we want to be like Absalom. We want to, we want to not just represent the king, 
but we want people to look on us as having the power of the king and the favor of the king. And yeah. so we're constantly, if we're not careful, if we're not spiritual, we begin to shift where people are dependent on us. He's a great guy. He's a great pastor. She's a great leader rather than pointing to Christ. And part yeah. of pointing to Christ is I can't meet your need right now. Um, the first thing Adam, the first thing Adam sees is God resting. Mm-hmm. And so his, the first thing he learns from God is to rest. Um, the Jewish week begins with rest. It doesn't end with rest. The Sabbath is yeah. not something you do on Saturday at the end of work. It's the beginning of the week um, to, to, to begin with rest. And so that principle Sabbath, the lack of observation of Sabbath is not efficiency and productivity. That's not what drives it. What drives the sin of ignoring Sabbath is idolatry. Hmm. It is the belief that I'm enough. And whoever came up with that meme, you are enough, needs to have the New Testament duct taped to their, well, to their, cal- <laughs> to their calendar. I'll be kind, okay? To their day Easy timer. Now. Easy yeah, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's critically important. I, you know, I, this is one of those sermons where I'm pointing at you, but the fingers are pointed directly back at me. We have yeah. to we have to recognize that we're not enough. Human need is inexhaustible. Divine provision is inexhaustible, and yeah. we're right in the middle of that. But our challenge is we have to stay in the flow of His provision. We have to understand mm. that we will never be enough. That's good. You never, never read enough books. You never preach enough sermons. You never make enough hospital calls. You never do enough counseling sessions. We have to tap people into the source. Yeah, and then that's, there's that's there's a this beautiful cartoon illustration, and it was um, it was meant to 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 represent fatherhood. So there's an older figure who's standing up with a hat, and a younger figure who's who's reaching out. And the 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 older figure has uh, a square in his hand, and the younger figure is taking this square out of the hand. But then you see at the back side of the figure, there's all these chunks of Legos that are missing from that figure where fatherhood is about giving of yourself to, to, to the son or to the daughter. And so that was Mm -hmm. the illustration of fatherhood. I use that illustration and that pictogram to illustrate what ministry is, whether it's physical or spiritual, we're giving pieces of ourselves out to people. Wow. You gotta have the pieces put back by God, right? You, You gotta renew in the Holy spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Uh, my wife and I are very intentional about finding formats where we can worship where we're not leading. Yeah. Um, this, this is, I'm not recommending this for everyone, but just from my life, I don't do medical missions. All of my international mm-hmm. missions work, uh, is, uh, involved. And I, I don't, I wouldn't say that's forever, but I've just found that I need environments where I'm not the alpha and I'm not the leader. I don't make suggestions yeah. in charts. I give orders. My life right. is built around, you know, if I'm 45 minutes late, you think that, that I'm entitled to that. It's just people give a <laughs> lot of cultural respect to physicians. And so when I'm on, when I'm in a, a different environment, I want to be in a place where I'm, I'm in a following position or supporting position. Or if I'm teaching that at least people are very overtly giving the place to Christ as the leader. Um, so I, I, I do a lot of, physical ministry here, but I don't do medical missions work. And that's just for my life because I need those times of Sabbath to be in a different position in a different seat. So it's just that's one good. example of consistently reminding ourselves that, that, that uh, I, I think if the only worship services you attend are ones where you're expected to lead or to serve, um, these, that can be an unhealthy as well. You need environments where you can be replenished and restored, you know, so there are plenty of places like conferences where you can do that. But I, you know, I would say to the, the to the to the pastors who are pastoring it, what what we would by any metric say is successful and thriving churches, be good to go and worship at another church that's that's maybe smaller, and just and just worship, and and experience God uh, in a corporate setting without being in an alpha position or alpha chair that people in expectation. Obviously, there are no alphas and betas in Christ. But people, we consistently sort people according to uh, their leadership structures and, and whether right. they're uh, all, all of that. So I think very good for us to 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 
recognize with people, with others, uh, that we, uh, we're not the source. We're just yeah. a conduit of God's blessing at, at best. Yeah. So a person finds themselves in a terrible place. Now, I'm not talking a, a suicide place or anything like that. I'm talking severe burnout. It's a Monday morning. Uh, they just had a rejection. They preached their guts out on Sunday. They had a rejection on Sunday afternoon, and they're just in a in a terrible uh, place on Monday morning. And w- what would you recommend for that person that's in in that bad place? And I'm not just talking about uh, maybe this is a this is a lead up to that. It's not just the Sunday, but it's it's they've they've been in sort of a you know, a funk, so to speak, and 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 Sunday just threw them over the edge. Pray, take a nap, and eat. <laughs> First and uh, foremost, yes. Yeah, so, you know, the the angel says to Elijah, sleep and eat. Yeah. Um, right after they got through speaking in tongues and baptizing 3,000 people in Acts, they ate. <laughs> That's and true. They, and they had fellowship. So, um, you know, Reach out to the Lord. Reach out yeah. to some trusted friends. Um, this is is from a book. Um, Dave, uh, excuse, Daniel Henderson. Mm-hmm. It's called the It's called the Glorious Finish, and uh, this is the best schema for avoiding ministerial failure that I've ever seen. And it starts with okay. worship. The reason it's right here is it's at my desk. And once a week, twice a week, when I come into the office, I try to start with worship. Hmm. Before, even before I open up the computer or the, the phone or start texting the absentees or whatever, I try to start with worship because, um, you know, there's two pathways here. There's neglect. So worship leads to humility. Neglect of worship leads to self-reliance. And humility leads to authenticity. Self-reliance leads to professionalism. Authenticity leads to accountability. Professionalism leads to entitlement, compartmentalization, dissatisfaction, dishonorable discharge. Accountability leads to integrity, joyful hope, and a glorious finish. Daniel uh, is Baptist pastor. He followed two spectacular forced resignations of megachurch pastors who had to give up their ministry because of a publicly identifiable inconsistency in their life that undermined public confidence. And yeah. Daniel had to clean up the mess twice. And in prayerful reflection of those experiences, Daniel came up with this schema for keeping us honest. And it starts, it starts with worship. My Lord, as apostolics, we ought to own that. That ought to be our bailiwick. We ought to, that ought to be easy for us. Yeah. But I don't, I don't start my days at the office with worship, not the way I need to, not before Daniel told me to. So thank God for Daniel and thank God for his witness. Uh, and it's, it's transformed how I try to start my day. Um, Yeah. And uh, I need to do that at the office at, at at the practice. I don't do it at the practice yet, so I need to I need to do that. The book's called The Glorious Finish by Daniel Henderson. Don't buy one. Just don't buy one. Don't buy one. Buy ten because you will you'll pass it out. It's 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 phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I'll, I'll definitely pick that one up. So <clears throat> there it is. That's what the you're glorious looking for. Finish. Or is finished. All right. All right. Well, um, when we should do I a volume question, two, we should do a volume two. <laughs> <laughs> Too much to talk about. I, we're, we're, we're coming to a close here, but just uh, out of curiosity, uh, from your perspective as a physician, when should leaders, especially pastors, consider seeking professional help for their mental health, their emotional health, and, uh, and how can they overcome the challenge to actually do that? Uh, when somebody you trust in that life circle that you talk about tells you that you need to, when your spouse does, that's good. That's good. Uh, when you, when your kids do, um, yeah. uh, when you, you know, if you're taking these screeners and you got weird scores, talk to somebody about it. Uh, yeah. Everybody needs an annual health checkup. Uh, take one of these before you go in for annual health checkup. Talk to your doctor, your nurse practice about it, your PA. Hey, how, how do you think I'm doing? So, uh, yeah. then, you know, just, just get over yourself. 
you know, just get over yourself because, you know, the idea that, that you're too holy to need maintenance is like saying, well, I'm a Lamborghini. I don't need an oil change. Yeah. Well, that's going to work for about 8,000 miles and you're going to have an awesome <laughs> trip and you're going to save a lot of money. You really are. Cause you'll, you'll save at least $300 by, by avoiding an oil change on a Lamborghini, which could cost yourself 300,000. So a lack of maintenance in a very sophisticated leader, um, is absolutely doable in the short yeah. term, but it's absolutely catastrophic in the long term. And what a loss. So the greater you are, the greater loss it is. So for yeah. those that think that they're above maintenance, um, and, and sometimes that's me, you know, sometimes I'm like, no, I, I'm always resilient. I'll come back. I'll come back. Yeah. Just, let's avoid that. So let's, important. I think that's so important that for the listeners. Yeah. Let's, let's so avoid that trap. For the listeners to hear that from a physician, church planner, you know, who has a lot of things that are, that are good going for you. You've got a lot of credentials you've got, you know, but yet there's times where you may would need somebody and it's super important that you're willing to, to do that. So, um, I always end with a question uh, of of what's one thing that you wish that you could tell your younger self. What's one thing you wish you could tell your younger self? Uh, Doesn't have to be related to this topic, by the way. Yeah. So don't be as arrogant. Be be more humble. Yeah. Uh, be kind to people because you won't always have a chance to be in their space. Some of them yeah. will die on you. And some of them will move off and you won't have a chance to say you're sorry. You won't have mm -hmm. a chance to say I was an absolute donkey. So watch yourself. Be circumspect. Um, I would say um, uh, don't sweat it so much. The will of God is overrated for individual choice. Um, yeah. Gideon had a very pagan approach to the will of God. So. You know, God's pretty creative. Most of the things that worked out in my life were not the way I thought it was going to work out. Paul tried to go three different directions before he went to Macedonia. So if an apostle of God was 25%, we're not going to get it right most of the time, but God will get it right all the time. Um, yeah. He's very creative in his will. Um, and he has many ways to bring us to an expected end, Jeremiah 29.11. Um, I, I would say be less dependent and seeking and desirous of affection and affirmation from others and be more desirous of affection and affirmation from the Lord. Hmm. Uh, because horizontal affirmation is a trap. Um, it's, it's God given, but every idol is a God given gift elevated to the wrong place. And that's, hmm. that's been a challenge for me. I've had to be spiritual to get that in the right place. And when I'm not spiritual, I put it in the wrong place again. Um, yeah. And uh, so there's too many things, I guess. But uh, um, just, uh, I guess, uh, one more thing is that when people declare themselves to you, believe them. Um, optimism is good, but romanticism doesn't have a reward. Believing the best about people is good in a ministry context. You need it. But if you believe it in, in the ministry context, there's a reward for that. Now, Jesus said, you're going to strike out 75% of the time. You sow seed, only one out of four is good soil, but you get a 30, yeah. 60, and 100-fold return. So believing the best about people and, and seeing them in God's preferred future for them, if there's an anointed spirituality about that, it works because God backs it. If it's just you dreaming up and not, you know, if people show you that they're going to be manipulative and hateful or, or something, um, I confuse those two sometimes because again, I was trying to step in and seek that affirmation and, and affection and trying to, to uh, want to be liked by everybody. And I was too yeah. conflict avoidant. I shouldn't be as conflict mm -hmm. avoidant as I was. I missed some opportunities in life for having earlier wisdom. And uh, so I pray that the Lord will help me because I don't want to continue to make those mistakes. I want to, I want to see things through his eyes and not through mine. Very good. Very good. Well, Dr. Jackson, this has been a, a tremendous conversation, and I, I just want to thank you so much for giving us your time today. It's been a, a an honor to have you on, and uh, we're definitely going to have to have a part two at some point in the near future. I would future. absolutely, absolutely welcome uh, that. Would love that. I, would love that. Thank you for the for the uh, 
opportunity today to speak with your your uh, broad collection of listeners and and supporters. And so, Godspeed in your yeah. ministry and all that you're doing. We appreciate you very much. So let me ask you this. If people want to connect with you in some way, uh, where can they find you online? And tell us a little bit about the podcast that that you do as well. So my doc, Jackson, M-Y-D-O-C Jackson on X, formerly known as Twitter. And then uh, the podcast is just just our church sermons. This has an intro and outro. Mm-hmm. That is uh, Arlington United. You'll find it wherever you find your podcast. Arlington United. Welcome anybody to listen to that if they'd like. Okay. Well, I'll definitely put those links in the show notes. And so that, in, that concludes our show today. And if you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to audio podcasts or on YouTube. And also it would just make my day. If you take a minute to rate the show and write a review on Apple podcast or wherever you listen, my name is Ryan Franklin. Thank you so much for joining us on the Christian leader made simple podcast.